you believe in something this morning? Why don't you believe in a church? Why don't you believe in the glory of dominion that God gave us the power to build a building on a hill that stands for something in the community? That we're not afraid to stand up for what we believe in and tell the lawmakers and the rulers in this nation and every other nation in the world, Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He's coming back and you better repent of your sins or you're going to answer for them. And God cares about this building and He cares about the churches that sprinkle the landscape of this nation. And if you go to Europe today, you'll see cathedral after cathedral that were beautiful and they're empty. And if we don't get right in this nation, that's going to happen. Look around you at the sloth. Look at the empty pews. Look at the big gaps. They didn't want to hear the truth. Believe in something today. Welcome to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Check out our website at beyondthewallsradio.com. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy the sermon. And I want to begin by asking you a question. I want you to understand the significance of what we're discussing that we began discussing last week and we will continue discussing this morning. Pretend with me for a moment that it's the year 2014, it's Christmas, and it's about to become 2016, and almost all of the body of Christ believes that we should not sin. Let's just imagine. And the minister has the task of standing before the people regularly, preaching against sin, trying to bring people to faith that they can conquer sin, that they can stop sinning, that they can be free of the shackles and bondage and chains of sin, and that in the midst of that message, pretend with me, that almost universally, everyone in the body of Christ hearing the message that they should stop sinning, that they can be free of it, and that they can break the chains of bondage, almost universally believe something else. And they believe the something else because the same minister who stands in the pulpit, for example, the old line Presbyterians, just imagine for a moment, the same minister who stands in the pulpit telling the people, you should not sin, you should be free of sin, you can defeat sin through Christ who defeated it for you, the chains can be broken. What if that same pastor at Christmas time taught you that Jesus came from heaven and he was completely free of sin and perfect in heaven. He had never done anything wrong, but he laid aside his perfection and was born in sin and grew up in sin and lived his entire adult life as sin until he entered the ministry battling sin. And that the crescendo of his glorious willingness to become sin for you finally reached its culmination at Calvary when the sinful Christ was nailed to the cross and became not only sinful in himself, but sinful on behalf of all of you. He took on all of your sins and added it onto his own sins and died upon the cross. What would that do to your faith as a Christian in 2014 
if almost universally everyone believed and had been taught that Jesus was born in sin and lived in sin all the way to the cross where what became unique was that he took on all of your sin on top of his own. And all of that in the context of the fact that sin is why men struggle to take dominion. Sin is why the original command of Father God in the Garden of Eden was thwarted and rejected. It was sin that interfered with the call upon humanity to take dominion. And what if that minister in that context, having told you that Christ was perfect in heaven but came to earth a sinner and lived in sin and was enshackled by it, in shackles of sin, until he finally went to the cross and took all of your chains too, what would it do to your faith if that same minister then got up and said, you're supposed to take dominion And the reason why we failed to take dominion, why we are not overcoming, why we are not conquering the world, instead of just existing, which is what most people do, what if that preacher said, but God doesn't want you to just exist. He wants you to take ground. He wants you to to exert supernatural grace-filled influence in this world in the brief time that you're alive. So much so that when you die, something glorious is passed to the next generation. What would it do to your faith then if he said to you that the only way for you to really take dominion and understand the the amazing thing that happened when Jesus came to the world, the only way for you to take dominion and to really matter and to achieve something on behalf of the kingdom of God is if you break free from the bondage of sin. What would it do to your faith if you were told on one hand you must stop sinning and that sin is what stops you from taking dominion, but the living Christ who came as an example himself had been bound by sin his whole life, born that way. What would it do to your faith? What hope would you really have that you, little old you, could defeat the bondage of sin and the chains wrapped around your mind and your heart if Jesus Christ hadn't even been able to do it. That kind of teaching would be called absolute heresy and apostasy almost universally. Now transfer everything that I just said to the demonic, faith-destroying bondage that almost universally is accepted to be true in the body of Christ, that Christ was born poor, struggled, grew up poor, and his poverty reached its crescendo at Calvary when adding to his own miserable poverty was heaped piles and piles of your poverty so that you could stay in poverty. It is absolute nonsense. If you will just use logic, it's nonsense. What is the point of Christ becoming poor ever at any time if it was just so he could say, hey, if you're struggling with poverty, be encouraged. I'm poor too. I want you to understand, you must. You're not being requested. You're being commanded by God. You must take dominion. You must stop merely existing You must break yourself out of the routine of dull existence where you get up and go to work 
And then you go home tired and you go to bed and you get up the next day and you do the same thing and you do it until your body wears out and we hold a memorial service and bury you. Be free of the bondage of dysfunctional dominion this morning. And I know very well your faith is destroyed and shattered by this horrible teaching that is almost universally accepted to be true and it is a lie from hell that Christ was born poor. He was not born poor. He did become poor. When is very important. Because if he was in bondage to poverty, ladies and gentlemen, and you believe that, you accept that, and that's your Christmas story, and that's what's ingrained in your thinking, I am telling you, you can hear all the sermons that you could possibly play in a recorder or watch on a computer or a DVD player or on a Sunday morning, come and listen. You could hear me say a million times a million that God wants you to be free from poverty and you can use faith to overcome this obstacle, yada, yada, yada. But your faith is built on a lie and you cannot come to faith in what I'm saying because the foundation of what you believe about Christ himself is that he didn't even defeat poverty. How in the world could you defeat it? This falls under the category of a doctrinal term called the atonement. The atonement. The atonement of Christ is a sacred doctrine of the church that has been abused, that has been dishonored, when we confuse what Christ did and when he did it. No one would dare say Christ was born in sin and lived in sin and the crescendo of sin happened at Calvary when adding to his own sin, he put yours on top of him. No one would dare say that. They would be thrown out. They'd be defrocked. They'd be kicked out of the ministry. In most denominations, goodbye, good riddance, go away. Even the most fallen away apostate denomination in the world would say that is wrong. And yet the doctrine of the atonement, specifically the Bible tells us that when Jesus went to the cross, he took upon him three things. Three things that are the result of sin. Three things that are against your ability to take dominion. Three things used by Satan as a hammer in your forehead. Every chance he gets, boom, boom, to stop you so that you'll just exist and limp along. Three things in the doctrine of the atonement. Christ took on the sins of the world. Christ took on the poverty of the world. And Christ defeated incipient death which manifests in our bodies in what we call sickness. This is the doctrine of the atonement. And every denomination accepts that those are the three great pillars of evil that flow from the decision of men to live in sin that Christ took upon himself on our behalf in his pure innocence. And it is essential that we understand this morning and later rest of the lies that undermine our faith and the ability to take dominion. You cannot take dominion with no money. You cannot take dominion if you are sick in bed. You cannot take dominion if you are bound in a life of sin. 
taking dominion with any of those three issues chaining you down in life is impossible. The only way that the second Adam in the second garden can restore righteous dominion through the shed blood of Christ at, at Calvary, the only way he could restore the true grace-empowered ability of you to stop existing like all the pagans and start taking ground for the kingdom. The only way it could happen is if Christ defeated the three pillars of evil generated by the decision of Adam and Eve to sin. Poverty must be defeated. Sickness, which leads to death, must be defeated. And sin itself, the root of it all, must be defeated. Jesus Christ wants you blessed. He understands and he said very clearly that in this life, we will obtain houses and properties and lands and possessions with tribulation. And there is no way to escape the tribulation. And anyone who says that you can is a liar. But he has also promised that in the midst of the agonies, in the midst of your tribulation, of your struggle to keep your health, your struggle to keep some money so that you can accomplish something, and your struggle against a tempting devil that wants to destroy you and drag you back into a life of sin. He has said, I am with you in the agonies. And when you get thrown down, get back up. Don't stop. Don't retreat. Don't give up. This is the message of the New Testament. And I want you to be free in all three levels because Christ went to the cross to destroy all three in the atonement. I'm smart enough to know that in order for us to have the synergy as a body where we pool our finances together by the plan of heaven, read 2 Corinthians chapter 8 or any of the Old Testament, it's what the tithe is, it's what it's for. I'm smart enough to know that in order for us to take dominion as a local church, to establish the rule of divine law, to beat back evil and leave a path that's wholesome for our children to walk through in the next generation. I'm smart enough to know that if we're going to accomplish any of the things that God has called us to do as a ministry, called to take dominion in the earth and to shine like a light in the darkness, to change the nation and to reach the world, to bring the lost, the once-borns, into the kingdom so they can be twice-born. If we're to do any of this, I'm smart enough to know you have to be free. You have to succeed. Your tithe increases when you get a hold of some principles. When you start getting blessed financially, I know that the blessing will be passed on to the mission of the church because you're kingdom-minded people. God doesn't want the church to be a mass unit. God doesn't want all of his kids bleeding and suffering and in agony and, and all kinds of physical issues. And they can't you, can't, you can't do what you're called to do when you're sick. I want you to come to faith on these things. So it's not because you're gonna, you're gonna fight Illness, you're going to fight problems with your body. So I've presented several arguments proving that it is indefensible to say Jesus was born poor, lived poor, grew up poor, became poor in his 20s, became poor in his 30s. I've explained that to you. Go with me, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're talking about extra ecclesium nullis salis. Outside the church, there is no salvation. And we know from the scriptures that the ark of Noah was a type of the church. And I want you to draw your attention to a little tidbit of Bible trivia that gets overlooked because I want you to understand 
the situation we face as a church, you know I've brought this up multiple times, I'll say it again and add to it today. They asked Jesus in Matthew 24, what's it going to be like in the end of the age? And on an occasion, Christ responded to that question. It's a popular question right now. It was a very popular question then. Imagine the popularity now. What's it going to be like when you come back, Lord? Boy, I'd love it if he came back tonight. Goodbye, world. See ya. Wouldn't want to be ya. And so I think about all these things, all these issues, the need for us as a congregation to move forward. And in the same way that your faith would be totally defeated if you believe Jesus was born in sin, lived in sin, crescendoed at the cross, taking all your sins on top of his sin, the same way that that would make it virtually, intellectually impossible for you to come to faith to conquer sin, the exact same ploy of Satan has been launched against the body of Christ because it is not possible for you to take dominion if you have no faith when it comes to finances. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace. Say grace. For you know the grace. Say grace. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Now, it's important to say immediately that the worldly pagan idea, the pagan concept of what it means to be rich is not what that word means. This word rich is not a pagan fallen world concept of people that we describe as rich. This word is talking about how God sees riches and the first lesson that we should all remember on how God sees riches to understand how he defines the word rich is this and the only person I've ever really heard say it this way is Pastor Larry I'm not sure he even intended to say it this way but every time he said it over the years it always hits me because I've never heard anyone say it quite like that And I would put it in my own words and say that there are two schools of thought on the fact that the Bible tells us that God in heaven paves his streets with gold. Many of the preachers say that God paves his streets with gold to make a statement about how rich he is. And I'm not necessarily saying that isn't so, but I think that there is a greater reason There is a greater reason that God deliberately paves his streets with gold. It is to show you on a scale of importance what he thinks about finances and how finances rate compared to things like people. The treasure of God, the great riches of heaven, is not found merely in architecture. God took gold, which he called good in Genesis, and made for us to use as an exchange. An economic method of capitalism where we exchange the value of a good for service. 
He called gold good in the garden. He put an instinct in your property instinct to cause you to want to obtain and possess property, especially gold. Cows don't care about gold. Pigs don't care about gold. Monkeys don't care about gold. Only a human being recognizes some amazing innate value in this particular stone that has a certain color. And everybody in the world, saved and unsaved for all of human history, has loved gold. Do you know why? Because our Creator programmed us to love gold, to want to obtain it and to use it. Dysfunctional dominion, of course, is greedy, filled with avarice, willing to stomp on the faces of other people to get gold. But God demonstrates your attitude, how you should constrain the property instinct in your own heart and mind by finding the most menial place used for transportation under the feet of the most valuable thing that he has, which is people, getting from place to place in heaven to demonstrate not that gold is not worth anything, but to demonstrate how much more valuable people are. He paved the streets with it. And you must learn to look at money and finances the way your Father in heaven views money and finances, that they are good, that they are a tool, but they are way at the bottom of importance when it comes to people. So when the Scripture says that though he was rich, define rich, he was rich in people. He was rich in all the glories of heaven, yes. But he was rich and in the sense of how God views being rich. It includes gold. We need streets. We need roads. Precious human beings that God so loved that he gave his only begotten son, they have to have a place to put their feet when they're walking to show them the way. And the people walking are so valuable. He wanted them to walk on something so beautiful and so good. So money is good. It's valuable. But it's at the very bottom when God looks at what it means to be wealthy and to be rich. You are rich if your life is filled with people that you love and that love you back. You are rich if you learn to save wicked people and bring them into safety under the wings of Jesus Christ. Money is needed to do all of these things, but people are far more valuable than coins. And so when it says that though he was rich, he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich, it does not mean that Jesus Christ took on poverty so that you could be like rich in the MTV definition of rich, which means ostentatious foolishness, crazy outfits, Long, silly-looking limousines, vanity, wickedness, perversion, flaunting your body parts with no shame, spending silly amounts of money on absurd kinds of food in drunken orgies. This is not biblical richness. 
We have to say that because some people are so angry because they've been confused by demonic doctrine. When you begin to introduce the very idea that God really does want you to overcome the obstacles of Satan that fight you financially. Much damage has been done by so-called prosperity preachers who have abused the scriptures and done foolishly and taught things that were silly and exploited people in offerings and gotten on television and embarrassed the body of Christ with their idiotic nonsense uh, to try to manipulate an audience into giving extraordinary amounts of money they should not be giving and can't afford to give. So much damage has been done. It's almost irreparable. The word itself, prosperity, has been besmirched and damaged so much so that most of the time, if you hear me talking about dominion, I'm talking about prosperity. And I have to discuss it in terms of dominion. I think dominion is a better word. I think it's a more biblical word because I understand what dominion is. And so I want you to take dominion because you're commanded to take it. It is your moral obligation to succeed as God defines success. Why? So that you are able to help those who have not. God so hates poverty and the meanness of it and the suffering that is caused because of it that he has given his children a moral obligation to defeat it not only for themselves but to help those still bound by it get out of it. When Jesus described, when you give someone a cup of cold water, even to the least of these, it's as if you're giving the water to me. He was describing one way that poverty is defeated. When we begin to take compassion on the people to our left and our right and see them in their suffering and their thirst and we provide for them the thing they cannot get for themselves, it's called generosity. And very, very poor people struggle to be very generous because they have nothing to give. And it was Jesus that said it's better to give than to receive. And that is because the giver is more likely in the position of dominion and the receiver is more likely bound in dysfunctional dominion. You are rich if your life is filled with people that you love and that love you back. You are rich if you learn to save wicked people and bring them into safety under the wings of Jesus Christ. Money is needed to do all of these things, but people are far more valuable than coins. It is your moral obligation to succeed as God defines success. Why? So that you are able to help those who have not. God so hates poverty and the meanness of it and the suffering that is caused because of it that he has given his children a moral obligation to defeat it, not only for themselves, but to help those still bound by it get out of it. Be free of the bondage of dysfunctional dominion this morning. This has been Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. 
himself blue on history so that there would be a light. Don't miss the conclusion of this sermon. Check out our website at beyondthewallsradio.com. Extra Ecclesium Nulla Salus. There is no salvation outside of the church. Thank you for tuning in.